This is a brand new thing that's just happening in the last two years. Here's a story from the New York Times. I'll just read a little bit for you. Vanessa Matos couldn't believe what she was reading. I was like, okay, this is a scam. She recalled of the letter she received in February. Her husband said the same thing. Yeah, this isn't real. <laughs> but it was real. Matos's medical debt was more than $900, and she owed it because of complication from a surgery. And um, uh, it had been con uh, forgiven completely by strangers at a church she had never been to. Adam Mulberry, the lead pastor of the congregation, uh, said, it's in the Boston area, said, it doesn't take a theologian to connect the dots. Jesus paid my debt and, at, oh, sorry, Jesus paid my debt at unbelievable cost to himself, so I probably, it probably makes sense for me to pay another person's debt at some degree of cost to myself. Isn't that cool? Welcome to the So Powerful Podcast. This is your host, Jan Cancilla. You know the sound of my sewing machine means it's time for another episode. So let's get started. Today's podcast is entitled Jesus, People, and the Poor. It's a talk Jason Biles, co-founder of So Powerful, gave at his church in July of 2021 where he continues discussing John chapter 12. This entertaining, interesting, very well-researched conversation will delight you, inform you, and inspire you. Please listen to Jason Miles. PK has been leading us with uh, messages through the Gospel of John, and it was honored to speak a couple weeks ago. So I'm going to continue the theme here and go through uh, more interesting verses in the gospel of john so if you have your bible or bible app turn with me to john chapter 12 i have it printed out here so i'll read a bit of it i entitled this message jesus people and the poor and then cinnamon said it's proper english to be jesus comma people and the poor but it's two different topics uh, i think i'm going to lean into the jesus people and the poor how many of you would consider yourself a Jesus person? We're the Jesus people. Okay, and so we're going to talk about this wonderful passage, um, John chapter 12. I'll read a little bit of it to us. <clears throat> Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, which was her personality. <laughs> While Lazarus was among those uh, reclining at the table with him, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, which you can buy on Amazon for $9, by the way. I looked. But back in the day, it was really, really rare and expensive. And um, she poured it out on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And let's just say for a day laborer, that's 300 denarii in the original uh, language. And so that would be, I guess, maybe a full year's wages. At, let's just say, I don't know, what do you want to do, $15 an hour? 
I don't, it, um, and uh, for, for a day laborer, that's what it was called. And uh, so that's about $30,000 uh, in today's money. So that is a massive, massive gift. Um, anyway, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus responds in, chapter, uh, in verse 7 and says, Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial, and you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Such a fascinating little encounter and little story. There's so much here for us to dig into. Uh, Jesus was doing a lot. Uh, and so a lot is going into this that I think we can kind of learn from. Uh, this uh, phrase, let's just dive into a little bit of the Jesus thing. Have you ever, ever seen those uh, memes? Wait, are there? Okay, those memes where somebody burns someone else with a total comeback and they wear these Ray-Ban glasses. This is like a thing on the internet and it has lightning bolts that shoot at the other person. Well, you might not know it, but Jesus was doing a real like a lightning bolt response to, uh, in response to this, these comments, because when he said, um, you will always have the poor among you, that's a direct take from Deuteronomy chapter 15. Now, they would know that. They would know that he was referencing an Old Testament uh, commandment to care for the poor. And so Jesus is not only telling them to basically shut up, but also correcting the, the reality of their insincerity and saying, you actually will take care of the poor. You're commanded to take care of the poor. You're supposed to take care of the poor. But this is a special moment, a special gift that's being given. So it's kind of an interesting set of uh, topics. We could talk a lot about special gifts, the power and the beauty of a sacrificial gift. I was just meditating on that this week and thinking about the power of a special gift. How many of you ever been in like a worship setting where you're full on, where you've got your hands all the way over your head and you are just full on, just immersed in that special moment of worship? You've been there? We don't always get there in our hearts and minds or, or spirit, but sometimes when the moment is right, man, that unlocks some really, really meaningful, meaningful uh, power in our lives and uh, closeness to the Lord. Clearly, that was a moment like this for Mary, where she was, she was in a special moment. Now, she didn't know it. They didn't, and in the moment of the story, they didn't know that, uh, that Judas was going to just betray Jesus a little bit later. And the disciple, you know, uh, Peter would deny the Lord three times. All the disciples were basically going to scatter. But for that moment, in that, in that special space, she had a super, super powerful act of sacrificial worship and giving. And I think it's fair if you read the stories about Mary and Martha and Lazarus, these three siblings. They, the, if you read all about the kind of Bible commentary... It's like pretty much everybody agrees these were siblings. And their dad was a guy named Simon the leper, people think. 
uh, it's implied. And so the idea here could be, we're just sort of extrapolating the pulling of the ideas together, that it could have been that Simon the leper, the dad, had passed away, that Martha was sort of the boss of the house, and that Lazarus, the brother, had died but then raised, but then Mary was really the one with this worshipful heart. And was it an inheritance she received of, you know, this special perfume that was worth $30,000? I don't know. But that, that could make sense. And there she was with this special, special gift that she gave uh, to the Lord. And I think the question for us is, in the moment, when do we have times in our life that are, that are like that? It's not every day, but there are special times when we have an opportunity to do something really special and give above and beyond, all out, to the Lord. And this is one of those times. So I think it's important for us to understand what Jesus is. Is it comeback? What do you call that when people do like an epic, epic burn, epic comeback? I don't know what you call it, but do the internet memesters know any of those phrases? Is it a comeback? Retort or retort. I'm looking at the youngest people in the room because they know these YouTube meme things. Uh, no, not Dana. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 15 uh, says this. If a poor person is among you, or one of your brothers in any of your towns in the land which your, the Lord gives you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from the poor brother, but you shall fully open your hand to him and generously lend to him enough for his needs, uh, for what he needs and whatever he lacks. And then it goes on in verse 9 to say, Be careful that no mean-spirited thought enters your heart. And it goes on from there. And he says in verse 10, You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will not cease among you. That's the phrase that Jesus used. Uh, in your land. Therefore, I'm commanding you, you shall fully open your hand to your brother and to your needy and poor in your land. What a powerful, like, just insert, <laughs> you know, into the commentary in the moment that these guys would know that passage and would realize that that was their, uh, the conviction that Christ was speaking into their, their commentary. I think our hearts can get hard-hearted towards giving in a lot of ways. Uh, and we can be tight-fisted, that phrase from Deuteronomy, in a lot of ways. Um, we can give for a lot of wrong motives. Um, we can give uh, for personal financial gain. Uh, we can give for power. We can give for control. We can give... Um, because it gives us a sense of a, like a Messiah complex in a bad way. Like we're the hero, we're the, the savior type thing. Uh, on and on. There's a lot of ways in which giving can be wrong. We can also look at people who do the act of, uh, you know, caring, the big act of worship, the big generous thing, with a judgmental attitude. It's interesting in Deuteronomy that it says to, um, to guard your heart. So that you don't have a mean spirit or a mean thought in your heart. 
I'm, uh, on the, have you ever heard of that uh, Myers-Briggs personality type thing? I'm INTJ, and the J is for judging. So I'm really good at being critical uh, and seeing other things and just immediately going into, like, you know, critique mode. And, and the direction of the Lord here is to say to be careful not to do that when you see people um, giving generously or doing something that's a really courageous, a really big act of worship and service. And, and I think it's important for all of us to be careful not, to, do, not to, to have that mindset where we see other people and we just immediately critique or judge. It's so easy. Be honest. Has anybody done that? Other people's ministry and you're like, well, yeah, it's good, but da-da-da-da-da. Um, we need to guard our heart against that. So how then should we live? What should we do in light of this passage and Jesus' instruction? Deuteronomy says we should be open-handed and responsive. So on the one hand, we could be calloused and tight-fisted. On the other hand, we could be open-handed and responsive, really caring. I think it's important for us to grapple with these ideas. And I think part of being open-handed and responsive is realizing that there are reasons why poverty exists. You know, this phrase is so common, the poor you always have with you. People would like quote that in society. People, that, that's sort of a, a phrase that you might hear occasionally. And sometimes we hear it as a defense against doing <laughs> works of service or, you know, I, you, you hear an idea of doing something and you're like, well, the poor will always have with us, so maybe we won't do that this time. But the truth is there are reasons why there's poverty in communities. Uh, there, I think there are five valid reasons why poverty exists. Uh, personal choices and decisions are at the top of the list or, or on the list. There are things that people do that are just messed up. But then there are also choices other people make that impact someone else. We do things that are corrupt. We do things that are evil, or the society does. And people are impacted by that. Choices other people make. What's an example of that? I, I remember this one example. There's a, a ministry, um, International Justice Mission. And what they do is they go, and the, so here's the origin story of it. In a lot of countries, uh, Southeast Asia, other places, certainly in the U.S. as well, uh, local charities will know about uh, illegal sex trafficking and, you know, that girls are being victimized and th that whole under, you know, like horrible part of what's happening in societies. But the charities can't, can't actually, like, you know... Uh, Okay, no disrespect at all, but imagine Cindy knowing about such things and written and her and going and confronting the people running that. Like, they'd be like, no way, right? Like, and so there was these charity workers who knew about these things occurring in these communities, but they felt powerless to actually intervene because their lives would be threatened. Because in many contexts, the police were uh, involved and was like a racket where they were covering for all this horrible... Uh, victimization of these girls. And so these charities got together at one point and said, we, we, we got to figure out something. And so they found a guy who was a, the Rwandan genocide, United Nations uh, 
inspector, I guess you could say, or he, he looked into the whole war crimes thing there. And they said, look, we got this problem with international sex trafficking, and we can't have our, you know, our charity workers going in and, and, and confronting these, these, these situations. And so why don't we create something where you're empowered to go and bring the heat, bring the law, you know, bring, bring righteousness. And uh, so Gary Haugen's that guy's name, an international justice mission was set up for him to go and, and his team to do that. And they literally just started bringing down these horrible, corrupt situations where people in communities were obviously uh, bringing tremendous harm uh, to these, to these uh, girls. Culture can hurt people. And so IJM is a great example of a ministry that makes a difference. Um, I'm reminded of RCC when I think about this stuff. You know, in 2006, um, there was HIV AIDS response work that was incredibly needed. And uh, this church, this youth group stepped up. Did the first ever kit build happen here? And then we went on from there for caregiver kit program. If you're new to this story, haven't heard it before. There were about 77,000 caregivers that World Vision had that didn't have supplies to do any caring work for uh, people, in essence, in hospice situation from HIV AIDS. And um, these caregivers were praying for people. They were helping with bathing and, and that kind of thing and food. But they didn't have any supplies. And so the call was made for, like, hey, can we supply these caregivers? And so uh, the first event where we pulled together items happened here in this youth group. Dana was uh, leading the charge. And then from there, 441,000 caregiver kits happened over the next 10 years, from 2006 to 2016. Isn't that amazing? From this place, this place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a beautiful testimony to, I think, what is fair to say is an anointing on this community uh, of, of seeing needs and responding. I think it's fair to say that's one of the giftings of this church. Um, so Powerful has been incredibly blessed, our charity, by all of you participating in helping us uh, collect the purses that help girls stay in school. Um, this year, our goal is, tw is 24,000 beneficiaries in Zambia. We have 63 people on staff. And the first purse packing event happened at Toby Engineering's home group, uh, and we and that was in 2000 into 2014. And um, so um, tomorrow, some of you will be helping us fulfill that that mission. Um, just amazing, uh, huge blessing. Um, I, I also, since they're not here, I'll mention it, and I can just kind of tell the whole story. But you know, Ishmael doing the night feeding program. I don't know if you guys have even know about this, but um, I heard about the youth group doing some work uh, in support of homeless uh, uh, folks in the community. And I don't know about you, but how many of you have just felt a burden for the homeless crisis that's happening in the greater Seattle area? Anybody feel that way? Just like, what is happening? Um, and it's like, what do you do with that? What do we personally do? How do we respond? Um, and so when I heard the, the youth group was uh, making meals for the night shelter, I was like, what's happening now? And then as I learned more, I learned that Ishmael, 
uh, Islamov started doing this in response to that burden on his heart. Correct me on all the details here if you guys want. Uh, that are part of this, but he started doing this, and I, when I heard about it, I was like, that is awesome, and so then um, at one point, I, I said, uh, who's paying for all the food? Like, they're packing 100 meals a couple times a month, and then uh, I get stories back every time, every time my kids come to help, then I ask more questions, and then I heard, well, he, Ishmael's buying all the food himself. How old is he? His birthday was yesterday? He's, he's 19. And so I was like, he's buying all the food. The church isn't buying the food? No. Is his dad buying the food? No. I, so I gave Libby $100 and I said, give this to Ishmael next time you go. And so then she came home and I was like, how was the event? She was like, great. She was like, here's your $100 back. I was like, what? She said, he said he didn't want your money. <laughs> and I was like, now I know this is a good story because what? Like, she said he's paying it for himself. And so then I talked to uh, his dad, and, and I said, Bakhtiar, what, what's going on with this, this, you know, night feeding program? Ishmael won't take my money. How, how's he buying all this food? He said, he won't take my money either. I said, you're not paying for this? He was like, no, I'm not paying for it. And I was just like, man, that is just a beautiful, beautiful expression from this did you guys know that was happening? Everybody already knew this? Oh. Well, we should applaud for Ishmael, shouldn't we? I think it's awesome. And I think it's an example of how um, churches can step up creatively. And, the, and, and again, I, I really do believe it's a special superpower of this church. Uh, that there's something about our efforts together where we are open in our heart and mind. And, and I think that's really, really uh, a beautiful expression. I, I know that a response to compassion ministries and to efforts to serve the poor, a critical response, or maybe just, maybe it's right, but a response can be, what about the proclamation of the gospel? What about presenting the claims of Christ and asking people to to accept the Lord. And I really, when, when I, and I think it's a fair question, and the way I was thinking about it was, um, and this is where your, your dream about Cleo comes in. The vision in my mind was, I don't know those exercise balls where you can stand on both sides of it, but it's a ball, but there's like extendy leg things on each side, and, and it makes you, you know, like balance. It's like a balance and what I, what I had in my mind was the proclamation of the gospel to present the claims of Christ and ask people to commit their life to him, to, to repent of their sins, to, to lay down their burdens at the cross, and to accept the salvation of the Lord is, is on the one side. And on the other side is the presentation of the amazing love and the outflowing of incredible generosity, the special gifts like Mary did, the crazy good ones, that people would be like, what? What is happening? And I think it's like one of those balance things where what is our call? What is our responsibility as believers? We got to be balanced. And you know, 
in any one of those types of devices, the simplest thing to do is just flop over, right? And it's, it's kind of like that with the church, broadly, I think. The church in the United States or whatever. It's real easy to just flop over into one. Oh, we just flop into proclaiming the gospel. We don't do that compassionate stuff. Or you flop over into the other one. Oh, we serve our community real good. But we don't, you know, call people to repent. And I think the discipline of the body is to say, can we be balanced right in the middle where we, on the one hand, we're strong and on the other hand, we're strong. And if we can, and that's hard work, isn't it? And that's like, that's why they have those devices so that you're, you can tell I'm very fit. Um, I don't use one of those devices myself. My core would probably hate me if I did, but, but you get the idea, right? Is that a good? And so I, you know, I overheard you just uh, saying your dream last night about Cleo was that she was leading an exercise class in heaven. <laughs> I was like, oh, that kind of fits. She's leading an exercise class in heaven. That's beautiful. Maybe they even got those things. I don't know. Um, we need to be balanced in it. It's got to be both, right? It can't be one or the other. It needs to be both. Can I get an amen? amen? I think the other thing that we need to remember is that there are lots of different types of poverty. I think there's relational poverty. I don't know why, but sometimes in churches, you can just walk right by people and not even say hi or ask who their name is. I did that this morning and I felt so guilty. Like, how do we, like, how many people are even here? How do we not all know each other? But somehow we don't all know each other. Sometimes relational poverty can affect even groups of believers. That's not healthy, right? So relational poverty is real. You can have vocational poverty. You know, our program in Zambia is designed to help ladies get job skills so that they can provide for their own family. And that vocational step up, that opportunity for them to step into a good job where they have a good employer, a clean, happy environment with good coworkers, with consistent pay, that's a huge, huge, huge gift. There's spiritual poverty, obviously. Kevin, you mentioned this morning people who have never heard the grace and mercy of our God. There's physical poverty. There's financial poverty. There's legal poverty. There are people who don't have justice. There's time poverty, environmental poverty. There's mental poverty. There's a lot of ways in which the poor will always be among us. And that just means, I think, a lot of ways in which we can serve. I was, I was just preparing for this message. I stumbled into this new thing that's happening. I didn't even, I've never heard of this until yesterday. So if it's a scam, forgive me. No, it's not a scam. I looked into it. Uh, Actually, I want to show a video of what churches are doing in the last year and a half, two years. Churches around the country are doing this new thing. Now, you guys maybe have seen all these clips and stories. But um, I saw these stories in, uh, we have a clip from uh, a CNN, but we have a, a story in the New York Times, a story in USA Today, a story in uh, Christianity Today. Um, why don't we just show this video clip, if we can do the video clip first, and then I'll, uh, so I'll tell more. So people in L.A., they're learning their medical debt has been wiped out clean with no strings attached. Can you imagine? A church is giving more than $5 million to pay it all off. 
Because of the generosity of the people of Christian Assembly Church, we are able to give a Christmas gift to the people of Los Angeles, no strings attached. But because of your generosity for the people of Christian Assembly, we are canceling all of the unpaid medical debt, $5.3 million as a Christmas gift to all of the poor in all 28 neighborhoods. This gift is going to impact 5,555 households in our area. Incredible. That was Pastor Tom Hughes. His church partnered with a nonprofit group to make all of this happen. Great gift. Is that amazing? Have you guys heard of that before? This is a brand new thing that's just happening in the last two years. Here's a story from the New York Times. I'll just read a little bit for you. Vanessa Matos couldn't believe what she was reading. I was like, okay, this is a scam. She recalled of the letter she received in February. Her husband said the same thing. Yeah, this isn't real. <laughs> but it was real. Matos's medical debt was more than $900, and she owed it because of a complication from a surgery. And um, uh, it had been con uh, forgiven completely by strangers at a church she had never been to. Adam Mulberry, the lead pastor of the congregation, uh, said, it's in the Boston area, said, it doesn't take a theologian to connect the dots. Jesus paid my debt, and, at, oh, sorry, Jesus paid my debt at unbelievable cost to himself, so I probably, it probably makes sense for me to pay another person's debt at some degree of cost to myself. Isn't that cool? Um, and uh, the organization they're doing this with, is I looked it up. I was like, what is this? Is it a Christian ministry? What is it? Well, it's these two de medical debt collectors that had 20 years of industry experience. And they quit and founded a charity. And the charity just, what they do, they're smart business guys. They buy the debt from the whoever holds it at pennies on the dollar. It's like they're basically buying a file of large you know, like delinquent debts, and they buy them and just forgive them. And the recipient doesn't owe taxes. There's no negative or downside to the recipients. And so they were chugging along for a couple years, and then churches started saying, can we do this at scale? And the churches started doing this, like buying whole counties of people's debt portfolio and forgiving it. And so that clip uh, from, was, was from uh, Southern California. This story that I'm pointing out here was from the New York Times. There's another one from USA Today. Um, same thing. And then th this one, a church paid off all the medical debt in New Mexico. All of it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and all the available medical debt, they got it, bought it by portfolio, forgave it all. Is that crazy cool? That is awesome. And this is the, like in the last year and a half, these, these big churches have started to do this. And this charity has just started to flow because these churches are doing this. So I emailed them yesterday and I asked, how much is the portfolio value of the outstanding medical debt in King County and Pierce County? I have no idea, but it's just an interesting idea. Like, <laughs> I'm not doing a fundraising pitch right now. I'm just saying, would it be crazy cool if this church, I'm just, I'm just saying, or some church said, hey, King County, all the medical debt that's on the books, 
gone because Jesus loves you. Yeah. This, these ladies, this lady that got this letter, she got the letter that said the church, people from this church forgave your debt. That is heavy. Um, so I just want to challenge us to continue to think about the ways in which we can have an open heart, an open hand, and present the goodness of God in our community. Amen? Are you getting it? I'm seeing some, some lights going on. Is this resonating? Resonating. Yeah. I want to tell one more story. Um, and uh, it's a good one. And Dana can correct me on the details. <laughs> um, there was this one guy I heard about one time, uh, free wheelchair mission. And Don Schorfer, Nifer, Nifer, Dorfer, Schorendorfer. And um, so, uh, so this is the little slide of the wheelchair. I think there's an image in there. Um, he went on uh, a trip in 1979, and uh, he, I think it was into India, and he saw people crawling on the ground because uh, they didn't have any crutches or wheelchairs, and they, were, they had lost their limbs or they were uh, paralyzed, or, and they had, sometimes they would have little shims, like little, little boards that they would you know, use to, to you know, protect themselves, but they would just use their hands. And, and that image... He just could not get out of his mind. Just, he was just stuck in his mind. And, uh, and so he went through his career, and, but for years, he couldn't get it out of his mind. Do you have that image? It's not in the deck. Maybe it is. I don't know. Oh, it's not. Sorry. And um, so finally, he started tinkering in his garage. I'll describe it to you. What he made was uh, one of those white resin lawn chairs with wheels on it as his first prototype. And it only cost like 40 bucks. And, um, and this was his first attempt at trying to help people who, who could not, you know, didn't have the gift of mobility, as he calls it. And so, um, so he started making these. And he started making them at scale. He was like an MIT graduate guy or whatever, but like an engineer. And so he started making these. Well, they were so what you might call <laughs> uh, homemade <laughs> that... Even the World Health Organization told him to stop doing them. I'm pretty sure that's kind of right. And so he got shut down by the United Nations because it was too, I don't know, homemade, whatever, too, too scrappy. And uh, he didn't give up. He didn't give up. And he kept working on it, kept working on it, kept working on it. And... Uh, and then fig figured out how to do a, a, like a flat pack design made in China that comes in a box and boop, you know, you can just open it. And, and uh, they've now done millions and millions and millions of these wheelchairs through free wheelchair mission. And um, they're presenting the gift of mobility to people. Praise God. Amen. Amen. That's a nice one. Yeah. I think there are a lot of opportunities for us to take the instruction Jesus gave to those disciples. The poor you will always have with you. And to reflect on it in our own life and say, how can we balance the presentation of the gospel with the grace and mercy of compassion and ministry that makes a difference in people's lives? Obviously, Jesus was saying he was not going to always be with them, 
We all know the New Testament narrative. Jesus left by his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross and then ascension to heaven. But he promised the comforter. And uh, in the New Testament, what you see is the disciples radically embracing both community and caring. And second chapter of Acts, the account is that they were in one accord. They were worshiping daily. They were eating together, which we're really good at. Uh, and they sold their possessions and gave them to the poor. And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. The New Testament is filled with accounts of caring and compassion. You know, there's another scripture that Paul refers to when um, it's in Galatians chapter 9. He, he says, when he met with James and Peter and John, this is the Apostle Paul, and it was a big meetup because, you know, he was sort of different. <laughs> he was real different. Uh, but when they met, he describes it in Galatians chapter 9, and it says, uh, when I met with those esteemed uh, pillars of the faith, they gave me uh, Barnabas as my right hand. Uh, um, and they gave us the right hand of fellowship, sorry, when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we would go to the Gentiles and that they would go to the circumcised, which is a reference to the Israelis, the, the Jewish people. And in verse 10, it says, all they asked, imagine this, you got James and Peter and John, those disciples that had been through all of it and had come out and were now leading the church. But they met with, with Paul and he was sort of this crazy upstart. But all they asked was one thing. You know what it was? Sorry, I'm looking for my notes. Uh, all they, oh, sorry, verse 10. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. It was the very thing I had been eager to do all along, Paul said. So this is baked into the DNA of the New Testament. It's baked into the DNA of the apostles. It's baked into the DNA of the Christian church for centuries. And it's baked into the DNA of us here at RCC. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to finish with just a common reference that we'll all be familiar with, and it's... Um, Isaiah 61. I, I believe this is true for us today as a group. And here it is. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from, uh, for the captives, and to release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated, and they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers, will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and 
in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you'll rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your hand, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge that they are the people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Can I get an amen? I want to just close this morning by having all of us um, just take our hands together like this. And I want to just lead us sort of just in a little thing. We don't need to do a, a song at the end. but I want us to think about this Mary gift, this $30,000 gift. And I want to think, um, have us think about what would be a special gift in our life. And I, it doesn't need to be money. It could be money, but it doesn't need to be money. But it could be time. It could be something special. It could be your inheritance or keepsake. Maybe you got something amazing laying around, or maybe it's just prayer time, but hold something in your hands. Go ahead. Let's do it. And I want us to just lay it down before the Lord as I pray. Is that all right? So you just, you just do that, and I'm just going to pray over us to finish. Lord, we come to you today, and we're so grateful for the guidance of your scripture, for instruction from stories like this one with Mary giving such a special gift and Lord, we're so grateful for your uh, amazing instruction to remember the poor, to be open-handed, and to be responsive to the needs of others. And Father, we just lay down these things that we hold dear. And Lord, we lay them at your feet. We give them to you today. And Father, we just ask that you would take our little, our little gifts, our little acts of service, and you would do something to bring light and healing, and hope, and deliverance, and justice, and grace, and faith to this community, and to our world. And Lord, we're believing in you for it. We know that we can't do it on our own. We know that it's not just through acts of compassion. It's by your Holy Spirit that you draw people to yourself. And Lord, we're believing for that as we lay down these gifts at your feet. We ask all this today in Christ's name. And everyone said with me, amen. amen. Thanks, everybody. Yep. If what you've heard today inspires you to want to make a difference, I urge you to explore the So Powerful website at www.sopowerful.org. That's S-E-W-P-O-W-E-R-F-U-L dot O-R-G. The website has great information about the organization. It's where you can download the free purse patterns or even make a donation. We hope you will join us again next week when we bring you another So Powerful Story. Thanks for listening. Now go out and have a So Powerful Day.